Well, many or most of us, as we gather here in this place this morning, we would say that we have an unmet need, an unmet need. Maybe in high school or college, you remember, uh, you guys can help me out, if do you still study the triangle, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know what I'm talking about, the triangle. Some of us, it's been a few years. Remember the triangle, the uh, hierarchy of needs that tells us that our most basic human need is for uh, food and water and shelter, and if those needs aren't met, we uh, can't really experience anything beyond that. An unmet need is when something real or perceived to be necessary for your well-being is missing. So an unmet need is where something real or perceived for your well-being is missing. And some of you have known what life is like to not even have the most basic needs. You've known what hunger is like. Maybe you know that today. Unmet needs can also be in health, money, relationships, career, loneliness, security, purpose, crisis, politics. There's a Denzel Washington movie uh, from way, way, way back in 2002. Uh, something that's funny. Way back in 2002, this Denzel Washington movie called John Q came out, and it captures the concept of an unmet need. The film tells the story of a father and husband whose son is diagnosed with a heart condition and is in uh, a life-threatening enlarged heart, and so the unmet need is he needs a heart transplant. And the boy cannot receive the transplant because the family doesn't have the correct insurance coverage. So in all-out desperation, the father decides to hold up the hospital, taking everyone inside, the doctors, the nurses, and the other patients hostage to force the hospital to do the procedure. While the movie is fictional, in real life, we know that unmet needs, unmet needs, they can drive us to do desperate, dangerous, extreme, risky, or even criminal things. We can have desperate actions or reactions when an unmet need is not met. Now, it's possible. We know this is the story of many who've come through our doors for the first time. The reason that you're here is you've tried other things and you have an unmet need and you're wondering, is the answer in that place? Is the answer in that church? Does the Jesus that's worshiped in that place, is it possible that Jesus has the answer or is the answer to my unmet need. The question for those of us who are followers of Christ this morning is this, is our relationship with Jesus Christ dependent upon how our unmet needs are met? Is our relationship with Jesus dependent upon not simply that our prayer is answered, but how our prayer is answered. This summer, we've been talking about questions that Jesus asked, uh, recorded for us in the gospel accounts of Jesus' death, life, and resurrection. We see recorded there are 300 questions, more than 300 questions asked by Jesus. Now, I can tell you today, this is not going to be a 300-week message series. We're looking at some of the big ones. My hope for us is that what will come out of this teaching series long-term is that when we read the Bible on our own, when we come to a moment where we see a question asked by Jesus, that when we see those, that we would stop and we would say, Jesus, 
the question that you asked then, are you asking me the same question now? And that we would be transparent and honest with God in our answer because he already knows. We can't be fake with God. He already knows. What we're going to see today is a question that Jesus asks at the end of an emotional, divisive conversation with the crowd. And this crowd, what we'll see, they're so focused on their unmet need that they miss out on Jesus' most valuable offer. So let me invite you to open up or power up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we'll read out of the NLT today if you can choose, NLT. We pick up today with one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. In fact, if you're brand new to this or uh, even if you just know a little bit about church, there's a chance that you know this story. It is the account of the feeding of the 5,000. You may know this historical event. If uh, this is an account from the Bible that you know well, let me encourage you with this. Don't let the familiarity of Scripture take away from the freshness of God's living and active word. Even when we read the most familiar Bible stories, God can do something fresh in us as we study that Scripture. Today, let's follow a, a sequence of events through the perspective of the crowd, the perspective of the crowd. Now, this crowd is likely made up of rural peasants who earned or farmed just barely enough to sustain life. Many in this crowd, they constantly lived under the pressure. Will the basic physical needs of sustaining life be met? This is a crowd that is attracted to Jesus. Why are they attracted to Jesus? Well, John tells us in John chapter 6, verse 2, a huge crowd kept following Jesus wherever he went because, because, here's why, they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Miraculous healing is the reason the crowd follows Jesus. Now, miracle means a supernatural intervention by God that cannot be explained by reasoning or science. And Jesus had built this reputation. He become well-known because people could bring their sick they're paralyzed, their relatives who are having seizures, they could bring them to Jesus. And what they experienced is that Jesus met the unmet need of healing and they saw Jesus heal. Unmet medical needs are met when Jesus responded. And we believe that Jesus still is in the healing business today. It's no surprise that, the, that these miracles attracted the crowds. They wanted to see Jesus. What is he gonna do next? What is Jesus gonna do next? Then here comes the famous part of this particular series of events. Jesus knows that this crowd that has been following him, watching him do all these miracles, the crowd is going to be hungry. And this is known as the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe you've heard this before. The way that they counted people, it's not the same as we would count people today. They counted just the men. And so we know that there were women and children who were also there. So the feeding of the 5,000 is actually probably more like the feeding of the 15,000 or 20,000 or more. Jesus fed a lot of people. So Jesus challenges the disciples, knowing that everybody's hungry. He says, how are we going to feed all these, all these people? And they have a back and forth. We don't have enough money to buy the food. Even if we had the money, there's no place that even would have the food to sell to feed these thousands and thousands of people. As far as we know, the Costco in Tiberias had not yet opened. So then this boy comes up and he offers five loaves of bread and two little pickled fish, offers that. And what happens? Jesus multiplies that. Jesus miraculously multiplies the bread and fish. Miraculous multiplication feeds the crowd. 
Everyone eats as much as they want to eat. In fact, there's so much food that there are leftovers. Stay focused on the crowd. They want to be near Jesus because he miraculously heals. They stay by Jesus when he miraculously multiplies and feeds them. Verses 14 and 15. When the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. The crowd acknowledges that what they have just witnessed is only by the power of God. Not just witnessed, they tasted the miracle. They tasted, they ate the miracle, the multiplied bread and fish. And they say, what's happened is not just happening by God's power, by man's power. God must have been involved. And the crowd is so amazed that they want to elevate Jesus to the position of a political king. And what we know is that Jesus did not come to be a politician. Jesus did not come to be a political ruler. It's so much bigger and so much better than that. What happens next is another famous event. After the miraculous meal, the disciples, they go down to the shore and they wait for Jesus who slipped away into the hills. They wait and they wait and they wait. It's getting dark. The plan has been to cross to the other side. There's no sign of Jesus. They did not have that app that my wife uses to keep track of me called Find My Friends. They don't know where Jesus is. Jennifer will say, Tom, have you left work yet? Yes, I have. No, you haven't. I can tell. I can see you're at the church. I'm on my way home. So there's possibly this conversation, where's Jesus? Should we wait for him? I, I think he would want us to go ahead. So the disciples get in the boat without Jesus and they head for Capernaum. The calm sea suddenly becomes rough. The disciples are terrified and they see Jesus walking on water toward them and they're still terrified. Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'm here. Jesus gets in the boat. The storm at sea is immediately in the past and they're at their destination. Okay, back to the crowd. Remember the crowd? They don't know anything about what happened at sea. They don't know Jesus walked on water. What they do know is that it's breakfast time and when they were hungry the day before, Jesus fed them. Now, being a crowd of people in poverty who barely earned or farmed enough to stay alive, what happened the previous day was really good. They ate, and it did not come from their farm. They ate, and they did not have to buy it. They ate, and they didn't even have to to prepare it. Most of all, most of us in that same situation would be saying, I want more of wherever that came from. Well, where did that come from? Jesus. Where's Jesus? Verse 22, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. The crowd watched the boat leave. The disciples were on the boat. Jesus was not on the boat. Maybe they they looked around for a while. They couldn't find Jesus. When they can't find Jesus, they see some other boats that are headed towards Capernaum. They decide, well, let's get in these boats. We'll go to where the disciples are. Our best chance of finding Jesus is to go where the disciples went. So here is a desperate reaction to the unmet need of physical hunger. Follow the disciples across the sea and hope that Jesus, the great feeder, is still there. Should we take a boat across Capernaum to see if Jesus is there? Well, it sure beats cooking. Let's go. On the other side, who's there? They find Jesus. They're stunned. They say, when did you get here? How did you get here? And this is where it's about to get real. Because Jesus, he ignores their question. 
Jesus does not tell them about walking on water. Instead, Jesus confronts the crowd's motive, the same crowd that less than 24 hours earlier they wanted to make him king. Verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Jesus says, you want to be near me because I fed you. And the crowd's reaction is, exactly, yes, that's why. We ate yesterday, now it's breakfast time, we're hungry again. Where are the cinnamon rolls? So the crowd has watched Jesus meet their unmet needs. The crowd saw Jesus restore health to the sick, the injured, the paralyzed, and the disabled. The crowd experienced the satisfaction of their physical hunger being met when Jesus supernaturally multiplied the food. But now Jesus says, you don't understand the miracles. You don't understand the why behind the what. Verse 27, words of Jesus. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. This may be really challenging if you're a country peasant that barely earns or farms enough to sustain life. Don't be concerned about your unmet need. It may be really challenging today if you're lonely, if you're left out, if you're without food, if you're facing a health crisis, if you don't have a home or you're at risk of losing your home, if you feel like your freedoms are severely restricted, if you can't do for yourself what you want to be able to do for yourself, if you can't do what you feel like you're supposed to do or what, you, what God has called you to do, or if you're suffering the consequences of past mistakes. Don't be concerned about your unmet need Let's be real, this can be very challenging. Now Jesus, he does not say he doesn't care about their unmet needs. He doesn't say that he doesn't care about our unmet needs. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus demonstrates throughout his ministry that he cares deeply for people. It was Jesus who the day before initiated the conversation, how are we gonna feed these people? It was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount who says, your father knows your needs before you even ask. So here is what we see in the life of Jesus. And here's where the crowd missed out. Jesus says, Jesus responds to the immediate to point people to the eternal. When Jesus responds to an immediate need, an unmet need, it is always for the purpose of pointing people towards the eternal. The crowd says, well, this is fine, Jesus. We want to do God's work as well. What should we do? And Jesus says, believe in the one who God sent. Well, who is the one who God sent? Jesus, he's talking about himself. Believe in me. All right, I want you to see this. Keeping in mind, the reason the crowd has followed Jesus in the first place is because of the way that he miraculously healed multiple sick, injured, and paralyzed people. The reason they followed Jesus across the sea is because he miraculously multiplied five pieces of bread and two little fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. Miracles are the reason that people are following Jesus. So watch the crowd next. Look at what they say. Verse 30, they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? 
Now, many of us, we've been guilty of forgetting or downplaying the good things that God has done in our life. Many of us would say we've fallen short in expressing gratitude for the good things God has done in our life. But this is a record. I mean, he just fed you yesterday. Jesus, though, he's, he's so much better than you or I would probably be in the same situation. He's so patient. He's so patient even as he's persistent. And Jesus here, he pushes through any frustration because he wants the crowd to know about the destination. The crowd goes to this well-known story from their Jewish heritage when through Moses, God provided manna daily as the people journeyed through the wilderness. They knew the scripture that in those days, food rained down from heaven. So this crowd that says, well, what miracle can you do? Show us a sign. They don't want any miracle. They want that miracle. They want food to rain down from heaven. They want cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Verse 35, Jesus replies to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So the immediate points to the eternal. The meal, the miraculous meal, illustrated Jesus' power to satisfy the hunger of the soul. The meal illustrated Jesus' power to satisfy the hunger of the soul. The crowd, and maybe us as well, we can be so caught up in how Jesus is or is not responding to our immediate need that we miss out, that we forget about, that we lose sight of God's greatest offer. I want to confess to you, church, that this week I've spent more time and energy thinking about, worrying about politics and the pandemic than really pressing into how great and how good God is. Misplaced energy. We miss out if our faith is anchored to unmet needs. There is a hunger of the soul that cannot be satisfied by food, relationships, sex, achievements, stuff, politics, or anything else. Verse 40, Jesus says, For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus has already demonstrated that he responds to unmet needs. Jesus, he told us that God knows about our needs before we even ask. What Jesus demonstrates here is that he, however, he is willing to withhold a response to the unmet immediate need when people are missing out on his greatest offer. Jesus doesn't feed them here. The crowd is not getting the big picture. He, they're not understanding how the response to the immediate points to the eternal. And so here, Jesus doesn't feed them. He withholds meeting their immediate need. He doesn't say, man, I'm so sorry, guys, you're not getting it, but uh, they've got the buffet ready on the side. Why don't you just go ahead and eat? In this particular situation, Jesus demonstrates that he, in some circumstances, is willing to withhold responding in the immediate when we don't grasp the eternal. 
The crowd, they don't get this. They disagree. They grumble. They complain. They complain. Jesus tells them, God sent me. The Father sent me. They push back and they say, how can you be talking about how the Father sent you and the Father is God? We know your earthly father. We know Joseph. We know your mom and dad. John, the author of this gospel account, he tucks into the narrative that this exchange is happening in the synagogue there in Capernaum. So it could have further agitated some that Jesus would make claims about being sent by God in that holy building. And this leads to the moment when, when this happens, verse 60. Many of his disciples, this means the crowd here, many of the crowd said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? That word hard there means offensive or intolerable. They're saying, Jesus, what you're saying, it's offensive to us. In fact, we can't even tolerate what you're asking us to believe. Jesus, as long as this is about sick people being healed, we're in. Jesus, as long as this is about hungry people being fed, we're in. But when we start getting into that business about souls and your destination for eternity, that's where we're going to push back. That's intolerable. We don't want any part of that. Verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. There are many examples in the accounts of Jesus' life where people wanted to be near him. They were attracted to him. They wanted to be close by. But this is an example of Jesus clearing the room. I picture a, a packed synagogue there in Capernaum where every seat is filled, standing room only all around the outside, open windows where people are leaning into the open window. If they can't see him, they press their ears so they can hear him. The doorway, three and four people deep, just trying to be around the one who miraculously fed thousands and thousands of people the day before. Yet when Jesus patiently, lovingly teaches about his most valuable gift, so many walk away. This may be true about you now, it may be true about some of you at some point in your past. You're willing to pray for God to heal, you're willing to pray for God to provide, but when it comes to the destination of your soul, there's pushback. Maybe you'd be like many of the faces in the crowd and you'd say, if that's where this conversation is going, I'm leaving the room. But as so many moved to the exit, a few remained. When the thousands were fed by miraculous multiplication, John actually gave us a precise number of how many baskets were filled with leftovers. Do you know the number? How many baskets of leftovers were filled? Twelve. The number twelve is about to come back now. Maybe you thought that I forgot the theme of this sermon series, Questions Jesus Asked. Where's the question? We finally asked the, we're finally at the question. The context that we've unpacked today is so important in understanding the question that Jesus asks here. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? Many walked away, 12 remained. There was a crowd and then there were 12. Jesus looks at them like he may be looking at you and I today, asking the question, are you also going to walk away? 
is this whole relationship that we have, it is it only based upon how your unmet needs are being met. If your unmet needs are not met the way that you want them to be, will you also leave? Peter speaks up. Peter is the spokesperson. When no one else will say it, Peter will say it. Verses 68 and 69, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I want to be Peter. I hope in this scenario of all the thousands of people who were involved in this whole account, I hope I would be Peter. I hope that I would be Peter. This is a great moment for Peter. To whom shall we go? How could there possibly be a better option? Do you know that by intentional choice or by default, we're all placing our faith for eternity in something or someone? Do you know that atheism is a faith choice? Atheism is a faith choice. You believe by faith that when life ends, this side of eternity, there's nothing else. Well, what if you're wrong? Some religious systems teach good works. At the end, if good outweighs the bad, then there's a place for you in heaven. But the question there is, who's the scorekeeper? Some religious systems depend on rituals, recite the phrases, touch the beads, bow, spin the wheels, light the candles. Hope for eternity for some can be linked to karma or reincarnation or obeying a religious law. When Peter asks a question, he really makes a statement, to whom shall we go? There is no one else. Jesus, you are the way to eternal life. We believe. We know you are the Holy One of God. We are sure. We are confident. So if you hear nothing else today, I would love for you to take this away. Trust that God is aware of your unmet needs. Trust that God is aware of your unmet needs. And some of you in this room today, if you were to tell your story, you would share the story of a very real unmet need. And perhaps you have thought about doing something desperate, something destructive, something risky, or even criminal for that unmet need to be realized. What I want you to hear today is that trust that God is aware of your unmet needs. And the example that we see in God's word is that he is prepared to respond. And we believe that an answer is on the way. So trust that God is aware of your unmet needs. Find satisfaction in the promise of eternal life through Christ. Find satisfaction in the promise of eternal life through Christ. Satisfaction is absolutely the right word for this moment because satisfaction is contentment. Satisfaction is experiencing the source of joy. Satisfaction is also, is also making full pay payment or completing the punishment for a wrongdoing or crime. If you complete your sentence, you've satisfied the sentence and now you're free. If you pay off your debt, you have satisfied the debt and you no longer owe anything. Satisfaction spiritually is the repair or restoration of severed relationship with God. Our sin separates us from God. We cannot 
make payment with our own good deeds to repair that relationship. Jesus Christ satisfied that payment through his death on the cross and resurrection. We are spiritually dead because of our sin. God offers life through Christ. He forgives all our sins. The record of the charges against us is canceled, taken away by Christ when he was nailed to the cross. Now you may wanna make a first time commitment or recommitment to Jesus Christ today. Let me encourage you to pray a prayer like this today from your own heart and in your own words to simply say, Father, I know that I'm spiritually dead because of my sin. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. I decide to follow Jesus. I wanna build my life on Jesus. Forgive my sin. Thank you, Father, for canceling the record of the charges against me through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for new life in Christ. Maybe you've watched someone go through an incredible struggle and you've wondered how can they still have so much peace? How can they even be filled with joy given what it is that they're facing? You thought if I was going through that financial struggle, if I was going through that medical diagnosis, if I was going through that family crisis, if I was going through that legal battle, I would be panicked. I would be desperate. What many in this room will tell us is that you trust that God is aware of your unmet needs. Your satisfaction is not dependent upon how unmet needs are met. Satisfaction is in the bread of life. Satisfaction is in the eternal life that the Son of Man gives. Satisfaction is found in the one who God sent. Satisfaction is found in the true bread of God, the one who came down from heaven to give life to the world. Satisfaction is in the one who will not reject me. Satisfaction is found in the one who suffered on the cross for sin and then defeated death. I am drawn by the Father, and after I breathe my last breath this side of eternity, I will be raised up. To whom shall we go? Jesus is the word that gives eternal life. We believe, we know Jesus is the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that's where we choose to place our hope today. Church, will you stand with me and worship?